There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Secure the Insecure. This is your brand new podcast where it's okay for you to have an insecurity. It's okay for you to share it. I'm Johnny Sifa and every week I'm going to be joined by a very special guest who is going to open up about something that affects their everyday life that I want you to hear. If you've been inspired or touched by what you have heard, then please spread the word, rate the podcast, subscribe to the podcast and most importantly, share the podcast. It is so important to break down that barrier where it is okay to say you're not okay. So share it on Twitter and Instagram and hashtag SecureTheInsecure and include me, at Johnny Seafoot. My first guest on the podcast, you're going to hear how she turned her life around from drugs and alcohol to being sober and making a difference to the world around her. She says, her insecurity is people, places and things. To tell me more, I'm delighted to welcome my first guest to Secure The Insecure, Lauren White. Welcome to the podcast. Now, I want to go back to the beginning and really get a sense of what your family life was like for you growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I came from a very loving family. Um, two brothers and a sister, um, two parents. But, you know, every family has their issues. And the one thing that I've learned in life is that, you know, no one's perfect. And I always thought that perfection was something that I had to live to. And I knew that my family wasn't perfect. And I knew there was love in the household, but I knew there was also a lot of issues. And I had a lot of trauma in my childhood that affected me quite a bit. Got two family members that had issues with alcohol. I had, you know, a lot of cancer in my family. Um, I had a lot of, um, like, a lot of fights, a lot of screaming. And it it, it carried on from the age of, I think, five to the age of 18. And for me, family life would, would always be ongoing. I do come from a family with issues with addiction and mental health the good thing about my family today is that we we do work together strong and we do have a close bond to try and deal with that situation head on so growing up there are a lot of stigmas around mental health a lot of stigmas about alcohol addiction drug addiction for you as a child what was that like for you when you saw your friends in happy families where everyone's playing and then you're going home to a load of demons that are contained in one place I used to go to school pretending that I was happy all the time. I used to put a smile on my face and I was the, I was like the class clown in school. Like I wanted to be the popular girl. I wanted everyone to like me because at home, my home life was, was hard. You know, I was waking up in the middle of the night with screaming and shouting. There was, you know, a lot of fights in my house, a lot, a lot of fear. And for me, the stigma around a, a drug addiction, alcohol addiction was 
if you're a whiskey drinking a park bench, you're an alcoholic. If you're a, dr- a heroin addict on the side of the street, you are a drug addict. And I didn't understand that. But alcohol and drugs were definitely something that played a part of my story. And I had two family members that drank a lot and a lot. And I saw it and I saw it ruin them. Um, and I said to myself, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to be like them. And I did. You know, I was like them. Um, and my way of dealing with things was by drinking. But I didn't think that I was an alcoholic. I didn't think that I had issues with drugs. I also had an eating disorder. I didn't think that I was that bad because I justified it and I surrounded myself around people that did it. And the good thing about addiction is that we have this mental blank spot, which we learn about, is that we do something and we, we destroy ourselves with it and then the next day we wake up and we forget it. And we can't, can't justify that. And then we're like, oh, we're fine again. And it comes again and again and again until it just cripples us to the point where we can't anymore. So you just touched on an eating disorder as well as an alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. What was that trigger for you? Or were there many triggers for you? There was many triggers for me. You know, I don't actually identify myself as an alcoholic or a drug addict. I identify myself as an addict because I touched anything to change the way I felt. And the problem is with me is I do have that addictive personality. If I love exercise, I'm obsessed with exercise. If I love food, I'm obsessed with food. If I love, you know, a guy, I'm obsessed with that guy. You know, it, it's in me. And, you know, it is, I do believe it's hereditary because I've had a lot of family members that have the same thing. And, you know, my eating disorder was something that really got me down on my knees because from the age of 11, I always felt inadequate, you know. And one of my main insecurities was low self-esteem. And I've built up a lot today around that, around building up my self-esteem. But I was terrified of what you thought about me. I was terrified of what I thought about myself and how I will succeed in this world or how how much, you know, money I made or that stuff. You know, the more I put my my life on that, the more I was putting more... I was putting more pressure on myself. And, you know, my eating disorder just came because I thought the way to, to be liked was to be skinny. Because I modelled at a young age and I worked in clubs and I, I thought that the only way that people, were, guys were going to like me and people were going to like me is because if I looked good. I always put it external. And then I couldn't keep up with it, you know. I went from anorexia to bulimia and, and then it worked with the alcohol because that was my way of dealing with the bulimia or I worked in clubs so I would go out and I would drink and then I'd come home and I'd binge and I'd purge and how I describe it was from the age of 11 when I picked up alcohol and then from the age of 14 picking up drugs and then dealing with this battling with this crippling eating disorder by the age of 18 I went from 11 to 18 with a progressive illness that's why for me it wasn't really about a substance it was about me inside it was about me trying to cope me trying to control me trying to deal with situations if that person was in an argument with me or my family members were shouting and screaming you know the only way I can cope with that was by picking up a substance or picking up something to change where I feel because I couldn't look and deal with me you were 11 years old and what I'm gauging from you is that you wanted to be in control of something to own something because there are so many factors around you that you couldn't control you couldn't control other people being addicted to alcohol you couldn't control uh, your family members having cancer you were not in control at those moments you needed to control something but at the same time you had to block something because with control you can you can own it but you want to block out other factors because 
you need to obviously stay sane because how else are you going to live if you don't have that control and you don't have those blockages what was it though when you were 11 years old because you pinpointed 11 as that age where you had that low self-esteem so that kind of age where you're going into a secondary school Mm. so you've left your primary school you've built up for seven years people who know you who know maybe a bit about your family and suddenly you're going to a secondary school where it's completely unknown it's down to you to redo your image what made you want to do that and what made you also because early on you said about you wanted to be popular how did being popular help you block certain areas but stay in control what were you trying to control in that moment it's funny when i say 11 years old because primary school for me was very difficult i went to a very strict primary school and i was surrounded by very academic people around me and i was always not good at sports but I never excelled in that area and in my primary school always felt inadequate because I was diagnosed with ADHD and I was dyslexic, you know, I got zero at everything. And actually, if I'm honest, I didn't actually get into my secondary school. I didn't get the grades that I needed, but thank God I worked my way to get in through my parents and I always felt less than. And the funny thing is, is you look at me and you probably wouldn't think that, but that's what I felt. And when I went to my secondary school, my way of building up my self-esteem was by getting friends. Actually, in the ages of 11 to the age of 14, I actually was an angry bully. I bullied people, which is not something I'm proud about. But, you know, I felt bullied in my home and I felt inadequate in my home. So I made people feel bad and it's one of my biggest regrets. But that was the way that I felt in myself. and That you could be in control of something and control other yeah, people. Yeah, it's all about control. Um, and what were you doing to bully those people? I was name calling. I was bitching. I was being rude. I was talking to people behind their backs. I actually was physical with people sometimes. And did well. you know you were being a bully? You knew in yourself, I'm going to exert my power and I am the bully now because almost I've been bullied myself. So I want to now turn it around. So I, no, I didn't rationalise that. I didn't see it until I got older, the reason why I bully people. And I didn't think I was going to be a bully. How I saw it was that I became popular. I had loads of friends and that anyone that was less than me, I'd bully. It didn't really come to me to mind until when I was in my last year, my last two years, um, I started to change myself. You know, I started to work really hard and I started to... um, really excel in studying and I actually stopped being friends with the people that weren't good for me and I realised that that wasn't the way of life that I wanted to live but for me my secondary school was the start of everything I had no friends in my year at the beginning all my friends were the year above because it was cool you know smoking at the back of the school was cool drinking alcohol in a party was cool having house parties was cool I used to have house parties all the time because that was my way for people to like me and one of the main things that I identified with you know even when I worked in clubs was that I had to always be the one that sorted people out I had to always be the one that was like the head of the pack because I couldn't love myself and unless you didn't like me then I wasn't okay do you regret your parents not having as much control over you as they should have done because it sounds like they let you do what you want to do when you want to do it and didn't actually go right Lauren you are 11 years old you do your homework you watch a bit of tv for an hour and you go to bed not okay you're 11 years old do what you want if you want to go out and smoke go and smoke it's funny actually because I had a bit of a weird one with boundaries in my family of home because when I was 11 to 14 or, or 15 because there was so much chaos chaos going in my household, I think my parents let me do whatever I wanted to do. I could basically do whatever because they couldn't say anything because they didn't have any boundaries. But actually, when I started to grow older, like 16, 17, they started to assert boundaries. And, and you know, I am blessed to have 
family members that are sober today you know every single person that has been in the alcohol issue has got sober you know and when my family members started to get sober that's when boundaries in the house changed so for me I I basically you know had no boundaries at all did whatever I wanted I smoked with my family members and then I went to having strict strict boundaries to the point where I got grounded if I got a D so for me boundaries and was very confusing I didn't know what boundaries were because I went from being one extreme to the other and with those boundaries obviously as we said came the control but with the lack of boundaries yeah you turned to drugs now Obviously, growing up in school, you would have had loads of uh, seminars outside your lessons of do not do drugs. These are the drugs not to touch. These are the tablets. These are the pills. These are banned. You went against those lessons and did your own thing. Did you know that drugs were that dangerous, that you could actually die from taking those drugs? I mean, I got told uh, from, from drugs line that drugs were dangerous. And I mean, I never said... I never thought that I would end up taking drugs. I remember I remember turning around to my parents and saying, oh, the one thing I'm never going to do is I'm never, ever going to take a drug in my life. You know, but the circles that I started to go with, you know, most of the, the popular people, the ones that are naughty, you know, they end up, you know, experimenting, you know, and marijuana was the first thing I picked up and marijuana, I tried and I started to get really bad seizures from it and hallucinate. So I stopped marijuana and then my way of going about that was I went to a rave and someone turned around to me and said, you want some ecstasy? And I was the type of person that would never say no because that's, you know, my insecurity. I was terrified of what you thought of me. And I tried ecstasy and MDMA and I loved it because it took me outside of myself. When I came into recovery and when I got sober at the age of 18, I couldn't look at anyone in the eye. I couldn't hug anyone. I had so much trauma and I had so much hate for myself and so much shame that I had that I've done and whatever. So for me, when I did drugs, at that moment in time, it gave me that hope because it took away all that fear but you know drugs are they're not permanent you know they're temporary you know I didn't think it was going to go into full-blown doing it all the time or drinking all the time you know I thought it was just going to be that time but once I loved it why wouldn't I stop it, it kind of fixed myself for that moment in time and then you went to university and then, then it changed again and your life went downhill again so we went on this roller coaster of ups downs ups downs 18 you become an adult and you go off to birmingham to university what happened that was my um that was my hardest time i think um i mean when you've been dealing with family for so long you know and the funny thing is that i love my family you know we've been through so much in 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 our lives but you know they're everything to me you know how dysfunctional family is you know they're my life you know and i love them to bits and you know leaving and going away was hard you know, and that's when, because I couldn't control, I would say, what was going on around me again, I had to control myself, you know, so that's when my addiction got really bad, and, you know, I was drinking a lot, you know, because I could, because I was out every night, you know, I was doing drugs that I sent, never said I would do, and then my bulimia got so bad to the point where I was doing it every single day, and my baby brother got diagnosed with cancer, and... That was probably the most hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. Um, and I was going back and forth from London to Birmingham almost every weekend. And I felt like I had no place in like, an actual secure pace. And I felt so unsecure. It was hard. It was very hard. But, I mean, I knew deep down that I wanted to get help. And 
thank God when I was turning nearly 19 years old, I, I, I ended up telling my parents that I needed to go to rehab because I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I was waking up every single day and I was dependent. I was dependent because when I used to wake up, I used to, you know, pick up anything. And I couldn't, I couldn't stop whether it was food or if it was, you know, drink. And, and I couldn't justify it. I couldn't, I couldn't see that it was a problem for so long until I started to be bulimic every day. And the bulimia was a big part of my journey because with drinking and drugs, it was almost like, you know what, alcohol is legal and drugs, you know, I'm just having fun, I'm 18 years old. And then when I started purging every day, I couldn't understand it. I'm like, this is not normal. So I ended up being put into rehab at the age of 18, 19 and dropping out of university, which is a big regret of mine because I didn't finish my degree. But my health was the most important thing. Being in rehab changed your life. And I know personally, obviously, it changed your life because you've come out the other side of that experience and completely changed your life around. Imagine taking that 30 centimetre ruler, 15 centimetres in, you're 19 years old, draw a line there. You've got two completely different sides to your life. You've got the life before rehab. And obviously, as we know, rehab changes you. But that life before rehab... Being the um, the negative, the repelling against society to what you're now doing is such a change and a testament to how amazing you are and how far you have come along. Um, what and you you use that power that you've got, and a lot of people wouldn't use that power. A lot of people would just go back to their normal lives. Yet you've tried to change your life and change other people's lives and inspire other people and. I can't tell you how much I commend you for that. The way you inspire other people now, you do your talks, you're part of the Amy Winehouse Foundation, is just incredible and a testament to what an amazing woman that you are. Thank you. I mean, the one thing that I realised about getting sober was it wasn't about the substance itself, it was about me. And, you know, if I went out there sober and I was still living that life of hate and anger and fear and you know, what, what What type of person would I be? I might as well go out there again. And I felt like in order for me to actually change, I had to change for the goods. And I had to start doing that I realised were going to make me a better person. When I got out of rehab, I started, you know, working for the Amy Winehouse Foundation. Thank God I've done volunteering for them. And, you know, I was working with them for a while and going into schools and doing talks. And, you know, the first talk that I went into, you know, I sat down and, this guy next to me, an amazing guy, he was a heroin addict, and he turned around to me and he said, I want you to share your story. And I was terrified. I didn't think that I had any type of influence on anyone. And I shared my story and people at the end were, they were praising me, you know, not in an arrogant way, but they it kind of gave me a purpose. Purpose that I've never had. The purpose that I felt like I had when I wanted to make friends in a club when I was drunk. When I started to surround myself around good people, surround myself around people that weren't about what you look like or what car you have or what job you have, you know, people that actually were intellectually, emotionally deep, I started to change. Because the world is not actually about the external. I'm not about the external. None of that stuff is going to make me happy. You know, I live for the cars, I live for trying to be a millionaire, I live to be a celebrity, 
I still wasn't happy if I ever got that because the only person that really is happy has to get happy is me sitting in a room by myself and being okay with me because every time I went out on a night out and I was surrounding myself around the coolest people and going to Miami and being on a table with these cool celebrities I would go home and I'd drink to death because I wasn't content with life and I wasn't content with myself. It took me a long time, but I realised that self-love and self-acceptance is a big part of my journey. And that, unfortunately, not everything's going to go my way. Fortunately, I haven't got everything that I've wanted in life, but I am okay with where I am. And I'm okay with that. You know, acceptance was a big part of my journey. And the more I gave back and the more I shared about my honesty and my truth, the more I spoke to people about, you know what, today I'm not okay. Today I'm not having a good day. You know, the more I outed myself and my vulnerability. Some people didn't get it because I would literally be talking to a brick wall and I'd be like, oh, I'm not okay today. And they just couldn't understand why I was talking about my truth. Because back in the day or even now, sometimes I speak to people and it has to be like, I'm doing this, this and this. You know, I'm, 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 I'm all successful all the time. You know, and I trap myself sometimes because I can do that. Because it's fear. We're scared to say how we feel. We're scared to get vulnerable and we're scared to show our pain, you know, and our suffering. But you know what? We're human. And the one thing that I tried so hard was to be perfect. And there's no such thing as perfection. You know, so hard to pick all these like different hats that I had to be. I had to be the girl that was doing this and the girl that was doing that, you know. And it's not easy. It's not easy to put on so many different faces. It's tiring. You said your insecurity is people, places and things. What does that mean? I mean, anyone that's listened to this podcast would hear it's a really big recovery terms. Um, but I learned when I got sober that, that, you know, a lot of people find it hard to be around places, people and things and accept, you know, that not everyone's going to like me. You know, I can't control anyone other than myself, you know, in the sense of, you know, I can only work on myself. Places, not every job I'm going to get. Things, you know, I can't control things that happen in my life. Anything that happens, situations, I have no control over and I need to hand it over. I need to say that this is not my control and I don't have to accept it. I don't have to like it to accept it. It's one of my biggest mantras because when I got sober, I thought that my whole life was going to be good because the only thing that was bad was the alcohol and the drugs and the bulimia. But actually, life happens, stuff happens. Last year, one of my family members passed away and I was in Hong Kong, living in Hong Kong, and I found it really hard. A friend of mine from rehab took his life. He OD'd and, and one of my family members has been suffering with an eating disorder. One thing that I could have done is I could have picked up a drink because that would have taken the, the, the pain away. But that wasn't going to make it any better. You know, what type of person would I be for that person, you know, for my mum or for my dad if I was out there drinking? I wouldn't be of any use, you know. And I try so hard to just deal with the problem head on. And if stuff bad happens in my life and I can't control the situation, then I just have to accept it. And actually, not everything has gone my way. I'm back from Hong Kong and I'm not really making much money. And I have to accept that. And I have faith that, you know, I'll get there. But I don't have to pretend that I'm making loads of money or I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I have to just say you know, who I am and I'm I'm happy with, you know, who I am, no matter what. Because as long as I'm happy, I'd be anywhere in the world with anyone. And that's all that really happens, you know. Someone asked me the other week or asked me a lot, like, what what is your, what's your goal in life? Goals. 
And I always say to them, I want to be happy. When I ended up in rehab, the, one of the therapists was like, Lauren, what do you want? Like, what do you want? And I said, all I want is happy. I want to be happy and I want to be, be content. You know, because I tried so hard to people please and be this person that I wasn't and I wasn't happy. And the only person that was suffering at the end of the day was me. No one else. Bringing that all together, my final question to you, Lauren, is what would you call this chapter of your life that you're in right now? So, um, I mean, I'm a personal trainer, I'm a fitness instructor. I've just moved back from living in Hong Kong for two and a half years, which was probably the best experience of my life. You know, I was working out there. And I'm back now and I'm doing a master's and I'm doing a master's in addiction psychology and counselling. And I'm working in a rehab, you know, working one-on-one with addicts. And I'm trying so hard to spread awareness around mental health and addiction, as well as the physical side. You know, it's about exercising and healthy living. And the chapter I'm, that I'm in is just one day at a time. You know, it's just a journey. And I honestly, I was so big in worrying about the future and worrying about the past. And I wasn't thinking about today. I'd always be a million miles ahead. And all I can do is stay in the now you know, stay in this moment and accept that I am where I'm meant to be at this moment in time. And I'm so grateful for that lesson that I've learned. And as long as I'm just staying in the now and I'm healthy and I'm happy, then that's all I can do, you know, and inspiring others to do the same. One day at a time. Thank you, Lauren. To find out more about Lauren on Instagram, it's at I am Lauren White. If you like what you've heard, please give it a rating, leave a comment, subscribe and share on your social medias. I cannot make this podcast successful without your help. That was Lauren's story next week. I don't think I'll ever get rid of that voice in the back of my head. Even if I eat, I will always have some sort of thought about it. But kind of did it as a way of putting my middle finger up to everyone. I think that the NHS, my friends, my family, everyone just focused on what I looked like. No one ever went into what I was actually thinking about it. As long as I was eating, everyone was like, she's fine. I've been Johnny Seafoot, and this is Secure the Insecure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.